Welcome to the Ness and Dorma podcast, everybody. I am Lee Calvert. You probably don't remember because it's been so bloody long since we were last here. We're back for a special because it is the 25th anniversary of USA 94. So we thought that'd be a good time as any to come back and have a bit of a chat about it. As you say, it's been so long you probably don't remember us, but I'm Lee. And joining me tonight, today, whenever you listen to this, it's tonight as we record it, is the usual crew of Mr. Rob Smythe. Evening, Rob. Hello, how are you doing? And Mike Gibbons, hello Mike. Hi, mate. You can get in touch with the pod at Nessandormapod on Twitter for what it's worth and also there's an email, contact at nessandormapod.com or there's a website, nessandormapod.com. As you said, as we've already said, our plan is to take you all the way back to the 17th of June 1994, which is when the USA 94 started. It's World Cup Day on 17th of June, 1994. Wet, wet, bastard wet are still number one. I think about 10 weeks into the never-ending number one trawl of love is all around. We're all about 18 years old and absolutely gagging for the World Cup. Were you gagging for the World Cup then? Were you still super excited about the World Cup at that age? I was, yeah. I mean, it's the, cause I can only really remember in full Italia 90 which was obviously amazing. So I thought by the time the next one came around, I literally couldn't wait for it. I was 16 when this one was on. So I did my final GCSE exam was on the Friday that the World Cup started. So I finished my exams, went home, and then I just, I think I watched every televised game pretty much, <laughs> which, is, which might, be, might be the only time I've ever done that with the World Cup. And I just remember it was all multi-packs of Snickers and Coke, and I was just like, you know, sugar rushing my way through the whole thing, really. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, one of my abiding memories is because of the time difference and when the games were on. It felt like every morning I was waking up at three o'clock to the BBC test card, <laughs> having fallen asleep during the last game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was really excited about it. I mean, at that age, World Cup's still kind of quite magical. And also it was still, you could maybe argue it was the last kind of mysterious World Cup before championship manager and globalisation really kicked in. So you knew very little about most of the teams. That is true, yeah. Um, I was 18, just finished my A-levels, absolutely loving the football being on. Also, your point about falling asleep, Rob, it was the first the first big sporting event where I could legitimately stay up all night and nobody could tell me not to. Because I, uh, I was 16 for the Barcelona, World, uh, Barcelona Olympics, and that was a normal time anyway. I remember trying to do it during the 88 South Korea <laughs> Olympics and not being able to do it. So this is the first yeah. time I could actually stay up and like, my parents couldn't tell me off. Basically. I did it during the 91 Copper America, which was on screen tour, but mainly as an excuse I could watch soft porn on Sky Movies, <laughs> which is diabolical, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, there's some, class- there some the... classics in that genre, let me tell you. But, yeah, go on. Uh... Seven days, 11 nights, two moon junks. Anyway. <laughs> go on, Mike, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I, I stayed up for the 1994 Commonwealth Games in Victoria. For, I still don't know why I even bothered, but... Yeah, I think I just got that because the first time I could legitimately stay up for something that way. But so we're saying we're excited for the World Cup, but I supp- we're all English people for what it's worth. Um, the first Englandless World Cup, of course, no home nations qualified, but the, the first from personally, the first Englandless World Cup. How did we feel about that? We're all cynical twats now, so we don't care if England are in or not. I don't think, but um, well, maybe we do. But how did we feel about an Englandless World Cup, Rob? How did you think about that? It's, it's quite hard to remember because. You're right. You kind of take a thing from the viewpoint now that couldn't give us stuff. What happens to them really? I think, I, I think I still did want them to do well, but I wasn't overly bothered. And I, I think the reason is that 
the, the back end of that previous season, there'd been like a was the real start of the anyone but United culture, like proper anti-United shite everywhere. Like I remember Alan Mullery going on a some panel show wearing a Blackburn Rovers coat or tracksuit top or something. And I think as a United fan, I'd started to loathe all of that. And so it, I was reaching a point where I wasn't that fussed. Um, and I think also at those days, in my head, I was a football hipster. In reality, of course, I wasn't. So, you know, I, you I stayed thought, up in 1991 so, to watch the Copper America, Rob. I think it's fairly safe to say that you were the one of the first st- examples of the genre. I think I stayed up to watch Eleven Days Eleven Nights. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I, I would have rather there. But but also, you know, the other thing is they were so bad in qualification, albeit with a few you know caveats. Um, but it just felt like it wasn't much of a loss. And the other thing is that my folks were Irish. So, um, so there was that as well. It was kind of, not like particularly invested in Ireland, but it was more that I was invested in them being invested in Ireland. Mm. Um, so that gave it a kind of a partisan edge as well. Mike. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. Like England, not being there. I was more of an England fan then than I was now. And because I can't remember Euro 84, I'd never seen England not be a, a major tournament before. I remember thinking, well, what's it going to be like without them in there? But that just kind of evaporated three games into it. You know, I just didn't care. It was, you know, loads of football on the telly. So who cared, really? But part of the masochistic part of me would have liked to have seen Taylor's England there just to see <laughs> what what kind of slapstick method they would have gone out by. You know, Imagine, uh, like, Carl Palmer, David Batten, Andy Sinton in that heat. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Ireland struggled enough, didn't they? Steve Staunton <laughs> was basically a puddle by the end of it, I think. But uh, the... Uh, so, yeah, I was very much the same. I remember thinking, I don't know how to feel about this because Italia 90 had been such an incredible thing. It's like, how, will I, how can I like a World Cup again if it's like this? But then, as you said, within, yeah, probably a week at most, it was like, this is absolutely fucking brilliant. Why was I even worried about this? And the fact, like you said, Rob, that you're coming in when I was, I don't mean as I was working in the summer, you know, the game started at what, five in the evening? Yeah. about that yeah. five or six o'clock and went straight through till two in the morning it was amazing um and i think a lot of people we'll talk about this as we go through there's a lot of consideration about was it any good as a world cup and we'll give our views on that i still think there's a lot of people even now and certainly then who were basically saying well it's going to be shit because it's in america and they call it soccer ergo it's shit mm. Yeah, I completely agree. Just one thing on that. I'd rather soccer than footy, but anyway, that's another (laughs) thing. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. It was all those kind of, you know, like Punt and Dennis and all the hilarious bloody soccer ball stuff. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. And also people often try and reinforce that even now. You'll often read that the crowds were terrible, which is completely not the case. It was the most watched World Cup ever, I think. Average Um, crowds of 69,000, I think, which stands to this day, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think I agree. I think a lot of people did decide in advance it was going to, and maybe also there's an element because England weren't there you know how would the world cope without David White bombing up the right wing or whatever um, so yeah I, I would agree with that awesome. yeah I'd say I mean I think it was the first tournament after they abolished back you know that the keeper can pick up a back pass mm. that that affected the football it's three points for a win in the group stages so That's you could know you could no longer really bodge through with um, three draws which you know teams had done it at World Cups previously, the whole colour of it, I remember being amazing because of the times of the kickoffs and, you know, these mm. glorious American summers. You also had, like, you know, some really like striking kits and things. It was when kit manufacturers oh, going going mad with graphic design in the kind of early days. Of the, yeah. All of that. And also, um, 
some of the kind of star turns at the tournament. I mean, we'll come on to talk about them in more depth later, I think. But like Baggio, uh, Stoichkov, you know, Romario, Hadji, they were some of the best players in the world at the time. And it is a kind of time when, at a World Cup, the best players in the world, they would all front up. Whereas you see World Cups now with like Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar. And, you know, they're there, but they don't really, you know, they don't really do their best stuff kind of thing. So I think that made it a really great World Cup as well, that all those four had, in particular had amazing tournaments. The, um, the thing about the kit as well is it was probably one of the, the last times Adidas obviously had a template because how many mm. teams had that so same that Adidas sick, kit yeah. with, the, with, the, with the stripes coming up? Liverpool had it that season as well, didn't they? It was always, I always associate that kit with the stripes coming up, diagonally up the belly sort of thing from each <laughs> side. yeah. Well, kits were never bespoke then. They used to kind of make one or two and then they just write change the colour. Yeah. Yeah. So like Sweden, Bulgaria, and at least the two other teams had this same Adidas template kit just in different colours, basically. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, people thought it was shit because it was in the US. We don't think it was, quite clearly. Uh, hey, tell you what, you think it's shit being in the US, wait till Qatar happens. Then we'll know, won't yeah. we? Yeah, it, well, this was actually, it was two years before the MLS kicked off. You know, which is just taken as a given, and that's kind of grown and grown and grown now to you know into what it is. But I think it was part of the contractual agreement of the US getting that World Cup was that they had to start their own professional league within you know a certain amount of years. So whatever people think of USA '94, it has led to you know the growth of the game in the states as we know it today. And I bet I bet Chuck Blazer got shitloads of like fur coats and flats <laughs> out of it. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't have to say allegedly, do I? Because he, he has been convicted of being a wrong and with the finals. Nice, so you like now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's take you back then to the 17th of June, 1994. A quick word here. Um, how familiar are you guys with the excellent 30 for 30 series on ESPN? Have you watched any of those? There's a great one actually about a game that's coming up in this that we're going to talk about, which is the Columbia-USA game. Mm. Uh, it's called the Two Escobars. It's yeah. about, you know, Columbia in the drug trade, that's a great one, which I would recommend to uh, whoever's listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I imagine whoever's <laughs> I listening to this has probably watched it, but yeah, go on, Rob. Yeah. I don't think that's on this week, actually. Um, yeah, I, I'm reasonably familiar, and I know the one you're going to talk about, which is June 17th, 1994, um, which I've watched a couple of times, and I owed for uh, introducing me to Talking Heads, belatedly. Uh-huh. So the, the premise of 17th of June 1994, if you're not aware, if you haven't seen it, is that it basically walks through the day with live footage and no kind of narration, just showing what's going on in the US that day. And it's worthwhile just running through what was going on. You had the World Cup starting, obviously, but also you had Arnold Palmer playing his final round at the US Open. The New York Rangers were having a ticker tape parade on Broadway because they'd won the Stanley Cup for the first time, I think. Um, it was game five of the NBA finals between New York, Knicks and Houston. And Ken Griffey Jr. was was tying Babe Ruth's record for the most home runs before June the 30th, which is the most American stat you've ever heard, isn't it? There's so many levels to it. It's, a, yeah. it's incredible. But also the big thing that was out of that day was that O.J. Simpson was in the Bronco with a gun pointed to his head, basically going backwards and forwards. So in the middle of all this, I suppose it's indicative of really of, of America such a big country, both culturally and literally, that a lot goes on in one day. But it was interesting to see this is what this massive launch pad for football in America was fighting with. So not just from a sporting point of view, let the, I mean, you couldn't legislate mm. for OJ, could you, who invented 24-hour news? and Didn't 
didn't pizza deliveries go through the roof like, to a ludicrous level that day? Everyone just decided, like, bugger this, I'm sitting on the sofa watching. <laughs> oh, seriously, like, yeah, I, yeah. I might have been on that. Yeah, ridiculous. But yeah, what something else happened that day? England were battling to save the second test at Lords against New Zealand. So, you know. They didn't include that, did they? It's amazing. No, I didn't make the final cut. I'm uh, I bet Diana Ross was made up with all this, so her her, <laughs> her penalty miss wouldn't be the uh, the modern <laughs> or the, the then equivalent of trending on Twitter. So, so we had the, <laughs> we'll talk about the group stages first. The first game was after obviously Diana Ross's famous penalty miss, and we've all been through that. It's been on numerous clip shows. So I, don't, I don't have to go through all that stuff again with you guys, I'm sure. But um, the, we had the opening game, which was USA versus Switzerland, and no, Germany, Sorry. Bolivia. Germany, Bolivia. Game. Sorry, I'm thinking of the one after. Sorry, it's okay. Do you want to do it again? That's why you're here, Rob. No, don't want to do it again. That's fine. <laughs> so Germany, Bolivia was the only game, and then we had, I think later that day was the breaky game, wasn't it? No, so um, special special Bob remembers. Um, Germany, Bolivia was followed by Spain, South Korea, which was an excellent game, ended 2 all. I think Spain had 10 men for most of the game. Then... Breggy and Switzerland USA was the next day, along ah, with right. Italy Island and something else. I, I, I only remember this because we went to a. I remember going to like we because we even though we were eighteen, weirdly we weren't able to get served despite because we all looked so young. And it was one of the first times we actually got into like a, a quite a lively Saturday evening pub, and it was quite a um, quite a moment. So yeah, I remember, that's why I remember that day. If I can uh, just try and out nerd Bob there, it's. Uh... <laughs> Uh, that opening USA game. It was also the first World Cup game that was ever played indoors. It was. Good it was call. in uh, Detroit in the Pontiac Silverdome. So that was an, that was another thing people looked down their nose at America for. How can you play games indoors and all and all that kind of thing? Now they play rugby indoors in Cardiff. <laughs> the um, one thing I do remember about this, and I can't think it's been in any other World Cup. Do you remember the very specific different cutting of the grass in the penalty areas? No, it, but you don't know no, that it was, it was cut in lines <laughs> as you would expect, and then it was in a crisscross in the penalty areas. I, that always sticks in my mind. She do it. She do it. Anessa Dora on weird pitch cuttings. There's a game. There's a couple of Dora's <laughs> game. I had to look into. He's not joking, ladies and gentlemen. It, yeah, it looks on. like a bloody. It looks like a dance floor in a seventies themed nightclub. It's extraordinary. I'll try and find the links. So you can put it up. It's. It was one game where like five men were sent off or something, and I'm sure they were tripping because of the pitch. But anyway. So when we just... run out of topics, let's, uh, in about <laughs> yeah. three months, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, great goal. There were six groups, is the first thing. It was the last 2014 World Cup, wasn't it? Yes. Six groups. And then a really weird third place setup. Well, that's what they've got in the Women's World Cup this year. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I actually quite like 2014 teams in terms of, well, the number of teams, but it means you have that slightly awkward third place system. Um, and yeah, it, which is never really satisfactory. And South Korea ended up coming unstuck with some quite bad luck, didn't they? Effectively, with this third place thing, they scored yeah, shitloads of goals, didn't they? As well, and it was just so he drew with Spain, drew with Bolivia, and then lost to Germany, yeah. didn't they? They were three 0 down against Germany. They go back to two, three, yeah. two, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I forget the exact permutation. I remember that. Well, didn't didn't Amad, Amakachi's last minute goal for Nigeria against Greece? Put Argentina from first to third, and or something like that. It was all it was all quite intricate. We could, um, anyway. we could talk about great teams, but can we talk about how utterly diabolical Greece were? Oh, absolute shite! <laughs> the first first ever World Cup, and Batistuta after about fifty seconds, I think it is, and I'm not exaggerating, they have a four on one attack. 
50 <laughs> seconds into your first World Cup game. You might keep it a bit tight. It's it's just surreal. Um, yeah, just absolutely diabolical. So they were managed by Joe Royal. The, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we've talked about so Saudi Arabia, you mentioned the Ireland-Italy game there. I suppose we should talk about that. We covered a bit of this, ladies and gentlemen, when we did the Jack Charlton episode, but it's worth mentioning again here, um, Ireland's game against Italy. My main memory of it, and looking at it again, was obviously Ray Houghton hit it with his wrong foot. His connection with it was absolutely appalling. It was on one level, one of the, well, I think, it looks like one of the jammiest goals I've ever seen. Thoughts? Oh, yeah, it, complete, it completely shanks it, doesn't it? And I, I think Pagliuca thinks it's going over as well, because it's floating and spinning so slowly. You know, if you play badminton, you let a shuttlecock go over your head, you think, well, that's going out. <laughs> then you look, <laughs> yeah. you look behind you and it lands about three yards in or something. He just, I think he just misjudges it. And it's... Yeah, you know, he, it's he just slices it. Goal. Have we heard that story from that game about Ireland putting the wrong kit on? No. So they could they walk... Uh, so Ireland were in... Ireland dressed in their away kit. Um, and then they saw Italy in the... Awake. Staunton tells the story, and they're basically in the tunnel going, Look at these pricks, they're on the wrong kit. And it slowly dawned on them that the Italians generally don't get their fashion wrong. <laughs> so they all had to scramble, they had to run back and scramble and change kit like two. But admittedly, I think it was Staunton who said that actually relaxed them because it was such a frantic farce that actually they were no kind of, they didn't have time to get nervous before the game. Um, yeah. And after Houghton's goal, um, I always remember it stuck with me, it comes through again on the clip, but it stuck with me right at the time. Because my mate mentioned it was how Terry Feeling reacted like a bodyguard. Yeah, he kind of cups him and looks absolutely furious. He said, "Get away from him! Get away from him!" Sort of thing. It's worth um, pointing out about that victory actually that in the in the months leading up to the the World Cup, uh, the Republic they beat Germany and Holland in friendlies. Um, So it it wasn't a result that came out of nowhere. Really, it was like the third of you know. A great set of victories and then led to a lot of giddy over excitement of well I can actually you know go on and win it kind of thing and inevitably as it does it, it turns out to be you know you get your one big result and then you know you've got your memory from the tournament and they got knocked out in the second round but. and he got ironically because they were renowned for not scoring any goals didn't they get through to the second round because a goal scored yeah only because they were up against Norway <laughs> yeah so all, that group ended all four ended with the same point same goal difference and it went down to goals scored um, just one quick thing on the Italy game. Paul McGrath was properly immense. There's a video, I think, on YouTube of his performance. Um, and there were two, well, there may have been more, but there were two great defensive performances to stand out, which would be him against him and Beret coming out of his hospital bed pretty much uh, for the final against Brazil. Um, so, yeah, probably the best he played for Ireland, or a lot of people would say. So they get through, they get through eventually, and despite, did they lose to Mexico 2-1? Did they, didn't they? Yeah, they got yeah, done. I mean, that was the game when Jack Charlton almost killed killed a man. Yes, and we've been yeah. through that in Jack Charlton episode. I don't want to go through that yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. So they, they qualified with them. Um, they got a 0-0 draw against Norway in the last game, which was Ego Olsen's Norway against Jack Charlton's Republic. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some shit games. That was diabolically bad for, I mean that, for the standards of a nil-nil draw. That Ireland team had a central midfield partnership of Roy Keane and John Sheridan. Yeah, and yet Sheridan they played that football. Yeah. It's yeah, unforgivable, really. They had some decent players, actually. Phil Bab had a really good tournament. McAteer was quite lively when he came on. People like Aldridge could finish. Um, yeah, but, you know. Well, that goal I, that Aldridge yeah. scored against Mexico was the only time they really played football, I think. Mm. Yeah, they did well. To, it was quite a tough group because, for all the jokes about Norway, and they were a disgrace, 
they would they have they had finished above England and the Netherlands in qualification. Mexico were a handy side, and obviously Italy uh, were a very handy side. So they did pretty well, I think. The thing that's held against Norway actually is that they should have knocked Italy out of the tournament. Um, yeah, they bought it, didn't they? In their second game. So they, they'd won their first game. Then, then they got Italy down to 10 men. I think Pau Yuka got sent off. Mm. Yeah. And Arrigo, Sa- yeah, Arrigo, Arrigo Saki hooked Roberto Baggio, which looked like, you know, a crazy decision. Can you imagine the if they'd gone out in that game, the crucifixion yeah. of Saki there would have been for taking yeah. Baggio. That's one of my favorite. I think that's one of the great substitutions because you're right. He knows the consequences and he... And basically, still, he does what he thinks is right rather than being seen to be right. And he, like, in Italy as well, it's not just any country. Like, he's gone if if that goes wrong. So, fair play to him. And there was a certain logic to it, you know, 10 men, you want all the, as much athleticism as you can get. But you're right, Norway kind of settled for nil-nil against 10 men, didn't they, when they could have put Italy away. Then Dino Baggio scored and they were, they had nothing, nothing to come back with. Yeah, well, you, you often see this when I kind of, inverted commas, smaller team, gets a bigger team in a weaker position like that, you get them down to 10 men. It happened with the USA and Brazil in the second round. Yes. The, the enormity of what they might be able to achieve is just too much for them. Yeah, and, yeah, know, exactly. They don't really go for it. It's mm, a great point. I suppose one of the big, I mean, we'll talk later on about were there any great teams in this World Cup, and I don't think the way we'll talk about it later on. I suppose who are the people who kind of emerge in this group stage that we've got made you sit up and take notice? As Nigeria stands out for me. Yes, they were incredibly exciting, weren't they? A great game against Argentina, even though they lost. They scored some belt. They absolutely thumped Bulgaria, didn't they? Three 0 yeah. um, Scored some belting goals. Um, so Yakini gripping the yeah. net and shouting. Was it shouting yes, the names exactly. of his ancestors or something? Or shouting to yeah, God or something? It was. Inc- he was a handful, Yakini though, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't he dead? Did I imagine it? Yes, he is. Uh, did I imagine it? Or did Akocha play in that tournament, didn't he? Well, that team, that was. Or is uh, it 98? Am I getting him mixed up with Siasia, who played really good, scored a good goal against. Uh, oh, never yeah, Siasia scored against Argentina. But they were they they looked really good in Nigeria. And actually, they were a bit unlucky against Italy because Italy should have been down to nine men when they equalised, but um, the ref bottled it. This was because in the nineties was when everyone thought Nigeria would continue to be outstanding, wasn't it? Because that was the kind. Of, was Sunday Lee saying this? In this, probably squad? He's certainly he, in ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, I think he would. No, they were good. And they had Amaniki was a good player. Yeah, Aman, um, Amaniki, Amakachi, Yakini. Yeah, they were really handy players, weren't they? And everyone again, it's that whole thing about everyone assumes that when something's gone well, it will continue to do so. Especially with African teams. I don't know enough about this, but everyone assumed that an African team would just start on this road. And it would continue because of, you know, the fact that they were so untapped and all that stuff, but never it's quite happened. Said, yeah. What else have we got from the group stages you want to talk about? Well, I mean, the big shock for me was Colombia, definitely. I mean, they people laugh at Pele tipping them now, but they they were he wasn't the only one. They were quite strongly fancied. They'd obviously won five 0 in Argentina. They had a lovely kind of settled, grooved midfield. Um, Asprey up front as well, and I think whether they. Might have won it, I don't know, but I don't think anyone saw them getting knocked out in a group that included Romania, Switzerland, and USA. It's interesting with Romania, who we now think of as a great side, because they were, I'd argue, they were the iconic side of the tournament. But when they took the lead against Colombia early on, Clive Tilsley's commentary says something like, surprise, surprise, it's Romania who take the lead. And they were still better than Switzerland and the US. So for Colombia to go out pretty much with a game left to spare was a huge shock and obviously had tragic consequences. They had a Freddie Rincon as well, didn't they? 
Colombia. Uh, they had a good, really good, really good player. Yeah, they Valorama. And they, did, they were such a settled team as well. It was a real kind of... They looked almost almost programmed the way they passed it. The funny thing is that actually the Romania game, they played bloody well, really well. They just got stung by counterattacks and genius of Hadji. By the USA game, they were a bit of a mess and they fucked up there, basically. But yeah, you do wonder those little moments had they scored some early chances against Romania, like sliding doors and all that. But well, actually, didn't happen. In, the, um, in the first very first minute of that game, there's a professional foul by one of the Romanian centre-halves. Um, I can't remember who on, but mm. it's, less, it's less than a minute into the tournament and the referee bottles it and just gives a yellow card. <laughs> you just think if he gives a red card there, it could change the tournament for... You know, both teams completely. I've forgotten about Romania as well. They lost their next match 4-1 to Switzerland. They got absolutely stuffed. In Not just bizarre. Switzerland. Roy, Roy Hodgson, Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I they were great that... in Romania, weren't they? They were, just good they, were, they were just classic World Cup loose cannons. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, the way they, a... it's where they sprung, wasn't it? When the ball, that counter-attacking, they just boofed, they went, didn't they? And they had pace kind of everywhere. It was, I think they played, without wishing to drag this into... The depths of tactics. I think they played something like three six one, and they were just like a coiled spring. They're, I I can't remember many teams who were so kind of focused on counterattacks. It was just their entire game plan, really. Um, as we'll see in the second round game. But anyway, sorry, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say about Colombia. That um, I mean, we made, we made the point about earlier about it being a pre-internet World Cup. I mean, I'd, I'd heard that they'd beaten Argentina five 0 but I hadn't seen it. So it's just, mm. it, it was like this mythical result and you yeah, there's, so much, there's so much expectancy about seeing them, mm. you know, what they're going to be like. And it was, it was a brilliant game, that first game, the, the uh, Romania one. They just, they just came down on the wrong side of it. Really. And you know, mm. the real shocking result was losing to the USA, really. What I remember mm. about Valder, I remember when England played Colombia in that friendly with a scorpion kick in mm. early in Venables' thing. Red Jamie Redknapp came out and said he could not believe. I know it seems daffy how good Valderrama was. And I thought because of the hair, I thought he was just this kind of luxury kind of player. He said and basically trying to play against him was nigh on impossible. You just couldn't get near him. The strength of his like positioning and everything and the way he held you off the ball was unbelievable. I mean it was Jamie Redknapp, was... but you know. <laughs> yeah, he was just a proper kind of ticky tacker player before that phrase was invented, wasn't it? Or the kind who always lends you the ball, as they say. So, anything else in the group stage? There's obviously Maradona and, you know, going off yeah. his tits and all that stuff, but we cover that in the Maradona episode. And, uh, Mike, you've done a piece on Maradona recently, haven't you? In Mundial? Uh, yeah, I interviewed uh, Asif Kapadia, who's directed the uh, Diego Maradona documentary, which uh, I'd heartily recommend you go and watch. Um, so we've, got, we've got mixed views here on Ness and Dorma, people. You've got uh, Mike, who heartily recommends it, and... Uh, Mm. Gary thinks it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but Gary's always a bit contrary, isn't he? Um, uh, the truth, the truth's in the middle somewhere. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh group stages. Selenko scored five in a game, um, and and being tied on for the golden boot with Stoichkov on the basis and of I, that game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, and I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure that was Selenko's last ever appearance. It was. Yeah. Also off to in the. Five. In the very same game, Roger Miller gets the consolation. He does. Uh, when I think, was he 42 at that point? Nobody he might knows. Still be the American, oldest, yeah. Yeah. Might still be the oldest person to have scored in the World Cup. Didn't Selenko end up at Rangers? <coughs> or did I imagine that? Probably. A couple of those Russian players ended up at Millwall, I remember, when they had that weird relegation. Um, yeah, I think Selenko did end up at... Oh, fuck, nice. Um, so, yeah, 
pretty well. It's just worth saying Brazil were quite kind of functional and solid, but Romario scored three goals, three very kind of accomplished goals. One particularly good one against Sweden. Um, Sweden looked really good during Brazil. Ken Anderson's got a belting goal against Brazil, like a flick lob with the outside of the foot. I suppose but I don't think it was huge shocks, were there? In the group beyond um, Colombia, were many. Sh- Argentina finished third in a group which would have consequences, even though they won their first two games. They then got turned over by Bulgaria, um, which then meant they'll face Romania. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to I suppose for me the interesting thing is that point Mike made. You've already mentioned some of the players, or that point Mike made about you know great players fronting up. There aren't many great teams emerging and don't really emerge through this World Cup, do they? But what you do find is quite early on, great players start to assert themselves, don't they? The Hadjis of this world. We've already mentioned Romario. You just mentioned Romario. Baggio starts to actually... Well, Baggio took a while. He didn't score till the second round, but you're right. Romario and Hadji were... No, but Romario and Hadji were bang on it straight away. He scored in the first game. Hadji from the touchline against Colombia, which is an interesting one, actually, because I, for a long time, thought he didn't mean it. But the more... I kind of understood Hadji for one of a better, less pompous phrase. The more I realised that, of course he meant it. What a fucking idiot I was. Um, so, yeah, those two were bang on it from the start. Sto- I can't remember much about Stoichkov in the group stage. I think he really kind of revved up from the second round onwards. And people start with um, with Hadji. I remember people were always like getting misty-eyed and mythical about his passing in this, in this tournament. People were talking about him playing like playing passes with a certain level of side spin on it. So they bounce in the right direction and all sorts. People really went down this kind of rabbit hole like he was, like he was, I don't know, Terry Griffiths or something, you know, controlling the keyboard or something. It was, it was really strange. But that, I suppose, when, I, suppose, I mean, those, that kind of nonsense happens a lot now because people, because yes. of the way people are. But back then, I suppose for me, it just demonstrated what made World Cup so amazing. These players appeared out of nowhere and you could hardly believe how incredible! Because wasn't Hadji at Brescia or something at this point? Yes, in yes, Serie B, just mauling around. Bar- Barcelona, Serie B, Real Madrid. Or was it the other way around? Real Madrid? No, sorry, yeah, Real Madrid, Serie B, Barcelona. But yeah, yeah, he was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose it, it, people get so excited about seeing these players, they then start to go off on these strange sort of mental tangents about stuff that's quite clearly not true. But he's a very good passer, right. obviously. Anything else on the group stage? We want to move on to knockouts. United States got out of the group stage, as was the last thing to say. And there was a real fear that they would be, I think, the first team, first host not to get out mm-hmm. of the group stage. That was the big fear, but it didn't happen, did it? Yeah, I think yeah, it was a big worry early on because they drew, they drew, you know, what was looked a pretty hard group as well. Because mm. I think Switzerland caught a lot of people by surprise by, you know, how good a World Cup they had. But I mean, yeah, they all, it all turned on the Columbia game for them basically. USA kit wasn't great, was it? Neither of them. The first <laughs> one was like a proper hangover beta with the kind of wavy stripes. And the other one was... <laughs> yes. Just kind of, so you can imagine Donald Trump has it in his pyjamas or something. <laughs> <laughs> so we get through to the knockouts then. Let's talk about that. The, the knockouts are responsible for probably my favourite piece of Barry Davis commentary, which I'll come on to <laughs> as, as we talk about it. <laughs> I suppose let's talk about the good first, shall we? And you can't really talk about this tournament and this stage of this tournament without talking about Romania or Argentina. Which was, well, yeah. is, is it the best World Cup game ever? It's, it, it's, in, it's in the argument, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, I think it's the best since 86, personally. But I, know, I, don't, know, I don't know what you think, Mike. 
Well, it's definitely in there, and it's hard to think of one that's been as good as that since then. I mean, there are a few at France 98 that you would, you would mm. put in that conversation, I think. But it was just, yeah, just such a joy to watch. And in a weird way, Argentina got freed up after, you know, uh, Maradona got um, expelled from the tournament. Uh, they played, actually played really well in that game. They brought yeah, Ortega in, who, who was about 21, I think, then, something like that. Mm. But um, just the the way Romania picked them off. I mean, we know now looking back that you know letting Romania hit you on the counter—that's just leading with your chin, basically. <laughs> but um, the the quality of the um, the second and third goals, I think mm. the little the little ball—it's uh, like an extended long two, uh, sorry, one two twice across mm. in one half of a pitch between Hadji and Dumitrescu for the second, and then the goal Hadji's goal. The third one on the break, I think, is the goal of the tournament. I think that's the um, mm. the best one that was scored. It was just they were so clinical and they're so quick at getting it. You know, they get the ball ten seconds later, it's in the net. But it's so cold as well. Yeah, the decision making is brilliant. I love. Um, I agree with you about the third goal. I absolutely love the way Dimitrescu winds his foot almost like a dial while he waits for Hadji. So he winds his foot around the ball, <laughs> yes, doesn't he? Does it? Yeah. Then does it again. I was going to say, it's like dialing nine on an old telephone. You know, yeah, you exactly. find it all the way and then it comes back around. And, so. and it's one of those goals you'd know it's a goal even before the goal scorers kick the ball. Just the way, it's so perfectly just path. You know the player is. You almost always celebrate before it's happened. It was just a brilliant goal. And, and you're right about the second, the second thing. It was, they were so quick because that comes from a Argentina corner, I think. Doesn't someone stand on the ball about 30 yards from the Romania goal? Yeah. And a few seconds later, they're gone. And I think people don't, yeah, it's easy to say they were paces, but actually it's the precision, isn't it? The, people yeah, kind of forget the absolute just, precision, because they don't really break stride, do they? And the absolute no, perfect judgment of everything. Yeah. And the silly bug has cocked it up in the quarterfinals, because I would love to have seen them play Brazil, because um, yeah. they would have had a go. Play that Brazil, yeah. Yeah, Sweden, I mean, Sweden were a fine side, and there was so much to admire about them, but they basically, they were fucked against Brazil. By the time they got to Brazil in the semis, they had nothing much to offer, really. I'd Whereas Romania would have had a proper go. I'd forgotten Saudi Arabia got through to the second round. Still can't quite fathom yeah. that. Obviously, after... They won two games, didn't they? Didn't yeah, they, they beat did... Morocco and yeah. beat yeah. Belgium? I just kind of forgotten. Because all you remember is Alo Iron's goal, which is the shittest good goal that's ever been scored, sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think that, that goal shot. seriously. You can't no, take a goal I, I, seriously when it can when you see it scored on every park you've ever played on. When some big lad just jammily sort of like pinballs the ball around in his legs and somehow mm. manages to score. All I would say is he scored one more World Cup goal than we have. But that's no, very true. You always but you're always very even handed with these things, Rob. Yeah. I hate I yeah, I hate solo goals where it involves like ricochets where you think that fuck that. Um yeah, no, not 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 for me. Watching I this... can understand it. It was, it was, you know, like it was a lovely story and everything, and I can understand why people were excited about it. Um, you know, the kind of patronising casual racism and all that. Yes. But they do well. The, um... Yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, they were, they were a decent side. And you're right. You mentioned this off air. They scored a better goal, arguably, in the second round against Sweden. It was an absolute screamer. Farhad El Geshayan scored that one. Mm. Household name. Yeah, really yeah but he chipped it into the right hand tunnel. He cut in on his left foot and absolutely roofed it mm. past the Ravelli and the goal. Mm. How old was Ravelli at this point? He looked about 50, but I think it's just being bald didn't help, did it? Yeah, I don't know. Fuck Who knows? We don't know, do we? You don't need to know that. <laughs> Netherlands played Republic of Ireland. Was it realistic to think that Ireland could beat this Dutch team? 
Well, they had done, like Mike said, in a friendly in the Netherlands. But, of course, as you were saying earlier, when, when shit gets real, those upsets are much less likely. Um, and wasn't it an early kickoff? I know it wasn't quite as hot as the Mexico game. In fact, it might have been pissing down, so maybe I'm talking... It was in Orlando, but... and it was, uh, yeah. But, of course, yeah, the second... Co- Go on, Mike. I was going to say, it's a couple of defensive errors that undo them, really. Yeah, it's well. feeling, it's really... isn't it? Feelings back header, oh, which yeah. stopped playing the bodyguards. Yeah, this was this was over miles <laughs> before he broke his leg as well. So he was just unbelievably quick at that point, and he squares it to Burkham and then they score. And then yeah, Pat Bonner dropping that one in, which you know, is like, my favourite, yeah. one of my favourite Barry Davis commentaries, which I have here. So here we go. Good play by Vignon. Goes for the shot this time. Me and my uncle, who are big football fans, to this day, if somebody like knocks a drink over or something, say that to each other. <laughs> oh, Pat Bonner, when you see somebody so um for those who don't remember, you probably do, but Vim Young, I mean it was a it was a terrible shot, really, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah, even like a of... massive hand stinger, was it? It just straight at him from Ray. Paul Doyle, who we had on for the Jack Charlton thing, I didn't realise this at the time. But he's got almost a murderous distaste for Pat Bonner's career. Yes, yes. Every defeat, and he pointed out like Bonner, 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 which had kind of passed me by really. But I suppose he's right. Um, yeah, but that was a bad error. Having said that, I doubt they were coming back. That wasn't exact. That team was built to be ahead or be level, not to be behind. Yes, because they were so kind of witless, essentially. Um, so yeah, they would. I doubt they were coming back. No, I think they had a good tournament. though. second round is was about. Par probably. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, especially as Mike said, the group they had, Brazil, England. <laughs> yes, Brazil. Oh, I got to imagine England in this group again. But yeah, so Brazil versus United States. Brazil win one nil. Can so we talk about this the... Brazilian name only thing? Should we talk about this now, Brino? Before it became to be something else. Uh, we've got yeah. Brexit name only, but Brazilian name only, which is arguably more of a crime from my point of view. Is it fair? <laughs> Yes, I think so. But I don't think it should necessarily be a... Well, it isn't, it isn't. I mean, the two forwards were... Romario was an authentic genius, but Beto wasn't far short. The rest of the team was functional, but it was very good. I had two good fullbacks, Jorginho and Leonardo, until he... I remember salivating over um, Marcio Santos in this World Cup. Yeah, and they, they looked at... I always thought Dunga was obviously a hideous player, but a really effective one. So basically, I think they just had enough. It was 24 years since they've won it, which is worth about 300 years for most countries. <laughs> um, I think they just had enough, really. But but also, there was enough kind of flair. I mean, Romario was just an amazing player. Um, and they scored some nice goals. Um, and I think they were the best team in the tournament easily. So, yeah, but, but obviously, probably won the duller. Certainly, apart from 1990, they were probably the dullest Brazil team in the 20th century. Um Oh, and seventy-four, of course, who were and maybe seventy-eight, who were a bunch of thugs, but but they won it. So yeah, I think it was just about ending the drought, really, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, twenty-four years, all oh, the horror of you know not winning the World <laughs> Cup for for twenty-four yeah, years. But like... they started off playing um, a guy called Rye, the number ten, who was like a playmaker. Mm-hmm. He, he started in the team, but then they, I don't know, it just wasn't working out, so they left him out after the group stage. Wasn't he captain? He was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did he play for PSG? Yes, he did. And funnily enough, I was reading George Graham's Orberg this afternoon for something, and he talks about Rye when Arsenal beat them that year. Um, yeah. So that's where I was reading George Graham's book. Because didn't he get dropped and Viola came in? 
No, Viola came off on in the final and had that mad 14 minutes of fame. Everybody yeah. went on a crazy run. And then he disappeared, went to came, um, <laughs> and became a, one of those Brazilian players who ended up playing for about 50 different clubs. Um, I think they brought Mazzinho in on the right hand side. That's who field. I'm thinking of, Mazzinho. Mm. Isn't he yeah. Thiago Alcantara's dad, or am I confusing him with someone else? I think he is. But anyway, never mind. Um, yeah, pretty functional midfield, but they're good fullbacks, which is obviously a big part of Brazil's identity. Um, and two great forwards. Fullbacks enough. were Branco, three stone light, and then he up in Middlesbrough. Leonardo until he bust Tab Oh, until he elbowed Tab Ramos in the face, yeah. And had Jorginho, who was really underrated. And then when he got injured in the final, Cafu came on um, and then stayed in that position for the next 30 years. 27 years, yes. And uh, well, Tafarel was a really good goalkeeper as well. And I think it's yeah, noticeable it in Brazil against the USA and then against Holland in the quarters when they needed to up it, you know, when they were down to 10 men or when Holland yeah. got it back to two all, they could do. I mean, they had a different gear yeah. when they needed it. But, this is only an order. was a left back. He ended up in midfield at Paris, didn't he? Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, he did. And um, yeah, Branco scored an absolute screamer as well when he came in for that oh. quarterfinal. It's worth just one point about Brazil USA is that obviously Leonardo smacked um, Ramos in the face. I think he broke his cheekbone. Yeah. It's interesting that like, on both channels, the, co- the co-commentator originally defends him, going, Oh, there's nothing in that. Keegan and Waddle, they were. Yeah. And then they both sit Or he's still behind him, he's just trying to shrug him off, sort of thing. It's like, No, he's yeah. properly forearm actually, smashed him in the face. Yeah. Ricardo Ro- Ricardo Rocha made this point when I um, interviewed him for this Kaiser book I did, and I sort of and I thought no, that's bollocks, and I looked at it and he might be right. He said that basically, obviously he shouldn't be elbowing, but he was genuinely trying to elbow him in the chest, but because yeah. Ramos ducks in, he ends up absolutely scrunching his face up. Still I mean, reckless. Not yeah. It was oh yeah, it was, it was a nasty one. You see Ramos go limp straight away. It's horrible. Um, one but thing yeah. actually I found out with research in the Euro 96 book. So in the September of 94, uh, the USA came to play England at Wembley, which is three months later. And Ramos was still injured. His eye, his eye socket was still shattered. Jesus, from, really? From, from, wow. Yeah, the elbow, the elbow that he'd been hit with. So. But it's, again, the other thing about this, this World Cup is that nobody can really name or will struggle to name, I think, USA players that weren't the ones that played in this World Cup. You know, the Miolas, the Kobe Joneses, the Winaldas, the Tab Ramoses are the ones that stick in the memory, I think. Maybe it's just yeah. me. I can't remember anything else. Well, there's there's Alexi Lalas, but his, his association is more with scoring against England in a friendly yes. a year before. And you had, uh, you know, Roy Wegley from a you know an English perspective. He was, you know, one of the ones you would have heard of. But yeah, um, but yeah the, the, uh, the thing about the USA is between Italian 90 and... USA 94 because they didn't have a league they just had a bunch of international players so they I think they played John 100 Hawks, internationals course, yeah they played mm. 100 internationals between the two World Cups which just <laughs> just seems incredible now Kobe Jones so had, ended up had, at Coventry City didn't he he did yeah he did indeed he was fast that's all I remember there's probably a reason for that <laughs> right so that was real USA. We came to Mexico, Bulgaria. Can we talk about the ref in Mexico, Bulgaria? Uh, absolutely shy, yeah. wasn't he? Absolutely you, diabolical. Yeah. If you incur the wrath of uh, Trevor Brooking, I mean, oh god, <laughs> yeah, that was that's true. Brooking in a complete. How, how bad a game must you have officiated? But, uh... Yeah, he was properly losing it on commentary, Brooking, so wasn't said, he? He said one off each side for like incredibly minor offences, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, he um, gave a ridiculous penalty as well. Didn't the goal collapse in that game? Yeah, the crossbar. <laughs> one of the posts snap or something. Or one of the yeah, kind of frames of the long... goal snapped and they had to replace it. It was a massive hold. It was a brilliant goal by Stoichkov in that game, actually. Yeah, where that, that's him kind of stirring into life, I think. Is that the one where he touches his left foot about four times and whams it in? Yeah, but well, that's every goal he ever scored. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Take like, the shortest route to goal and roof the fucker, basically. He, he was a proper A to B player, wasn't he? Just no messing around. What's the quickest route? Yeah, he was great. Germany, and then Bulgaria won on penalties, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, and uh, and in, yeah. in that game, that's the game that... John Motson referred to him when he's when Lechkov kicked the winning penalty, didn't he? And uh and Motson referred to him as the balding character in, a, <laughs> in, um, in in the commentary. Lechkov, the balding character. Yeah. You can imagine him thinking actually when he puts the winning penalty and thinking, well, oh, this is at the World Cup. There's no way my life can get any better than this. And then uh, <laughs> a few days later. Yeah, we'll, we we'll get come to on that. To. Yeah. Germany, Belgium was a bit of a humdinger, wasn't it? Yeah, decent enough game. Was it three-two Germany? Yeah, yeah. Some good, yeah. quite good goals. Philippe, Philippe Albert's got a nice goal from memory. He did. That um, was this. Yeah, like give and go. And yeah. Um, also, yeah. What was going to say? Lob Schmeichel. No, just, in hindsight, there were yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, there were signs of Germany's vulnerability because they um, well, they went behind against Spain and drew. They they almost. Balls up a 3-0 lead against South Korea, uh, end up winning 3-2, and they also conceded two against Belgium. So, um, yeah, in hindsight, at the time, you just think, oh, it's just it's just the Germans that win and so on. But there were signs that they were a bit iffy at the they back. They were kind of on the way down at this point, weren't they? Well, they had no Mateus. That was a big thing. Yeah. They had a lot of kind of older players as well. So in the Belgium game, they brought Rudy Voller back into the team to partner Quinsman up front. I think Voller's about 34, 35 at this point. And he does, he does actually score in the game, I think maybe twice. Mm. And you just think, oh, is this them getting it together now and they're just going to go on and win the tournament here? But, you know, Bremer was into his 30s by that point as yeah, well. Yeah, Buchwald was in his 30s as well at yeah. this stage, wasn't he? Uh, Stefan Effenberg had been sent home in the group oh, yeah, stage of course for, uh, he had, yeah. holding a middle finger up to the, <laughs> the German fans. He was out of the I, team for quite a while after that, wasn't he? I don't know. I'm not sure he if he played. Didn't play in Euro 6. Right. No. Didn't play. Didn't play UNA six today. Don't think he played in France ninety eight. He probably came back okay, but yeah, he was out for a while. So that brings us to the next game, which is Nigeria Italy, which Italy win two one after extra time. I've got a working theory about this Italy team that they were nothing but a big massive truckload of jamminess with Roberto Baggio, which probably is enough. And why is that a problem? But is that fair? And this game more than anything seems to demonstrate that to me. Yeah, yeah, up to a point. Um... I mean, but they were hugely dependent on Baggio. He scored five goals in the knockout stage. Scored pretty much all their goals, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. They were lucky at times. But what I would say is that if you look at a lot of um, teams who certainly go to the semi-finals, sometimes a final, and occasionally win a World Cup, they often have a lot of luck. I mean, if you you can dress a campaign up two ways. Look at England, Italian ninety. You could you could legitimately argue they were a pile of shite in all bar two games. But you could also argue differently they played well against Belgium and so on Bulgaria in this tournament for example did they actually do much apart from beat Germany and win a sort of deadish game against Argentina um, mm. so I know what you mean um, I, I suppose what is weird about them is that at the time when Serie A was so strong they didn't they didn't have the greatest midfield in the world they had a lot of kind of good technical players like Albertini and Dino Badger but there wasn't a huge amount of fantasy in there 
Um, the Nigeria game, they were a bit, there was both lucky and unlucky because I won nil down when Zola came on and was sent off immediately. And at the time, everyone thought it was a ludicrous decision. And I think it was, but in 2019, you wouldn't argue with that red card. It's one of those kind of, you know, studs up and so on. They were lucky then when at 1-0 Maldini should have been sent off for a professional foul. The referee bottled it. And then, of course, Baggio scores in injury time. It's also interesting, if Baggio doesn't score that, Italy go out 1-0. He hasn't scored a goal in the World Cup and he's had an absolute stinker. Um, and, of course, it was a fork in the road. So I take your point, but got to the final, didn't they? Well, indeed, yeah. I was going to turn that down, are they? So Nigeria go out. I'd like to see that. Well, it's difficult because they were playing Italy. Would you rather see Nigeria go on? It'd have been nice to see Nigeria go another round, I suppose, but this is where we're at. And in the final game, Spain beat Switzerland 3-0. This is where, you know, Roy, your point before, Roy Hodgson, Switzerland, comes to the fore here as Spain uh, batter them 3-0, basically. Yeah, Spain had a really good side. I mean, I thought they were a real dark horse in this World Cup. And, you know, they're just kind of coming into form at the right time and, you know, put Switzerland away really easily, I thought. So I had some cracking sort of emerging players. You know, Caminero, Luis Enrique had a great tournament. Guardiola. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And like, you know, like Italy and Brazil. Final. Yeah. They, they had enough good players, which, you know, in this tournament, it wasn't packed with great sides like I think sort of France 98 was, where you had sort of six, seven really strong teams all the way through. I mean, a lot, a lot yeah, of the teams here, there's just three or four, you know, really good players in and then, you know, the rest is made up of um, kind of lesser lives kind of thing. But um, yeah, pre, Pre-Javiesta, that was probably their best chance, certainly to get to a final that I can think of because um, they had chances, good chances to beat Italy and then obviously we'll play Bulgaria in the semis. But um, anyway. Uh, in this game, in this round, the, the Chiki Bulgaristan came on and scored the penalty. Who's now, is he the sporting director at Barcelona or is he a city now? I lose track of where everyone's up to. City. He's at He's City. City, isn't he? mm, yeah. So that was the second round and advancing to the quarterfinals off the back of that were Romania versus Sweden. Twats. Romania <laughs> popped us up. <laughs> <laughs> Two went up against ten men, and they fucked it up. Keeper came waving for a long cross to Kenneth Anderson. Um, I can't actually remember much, but I do remember Brolin scored a lovely free kick, which was quite similar to the one Zanetti would score against England four years earlier. The kind of little pass and run from behind the wall. Um, that was obviously when before Brolin became a figure of banter. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who's. I can't remember. Did Radicho score twice for Romania? I can't he even did. remember. Yeah, yeah, he scored two goals. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, he had them up in extra time, didn't he? And then, uh, yeah, Kenneth Anderson, who had a great yeah, tournament, yeah. by the way. Oh, he was brilliant. Yes, yeah. I mean, yes. I love. I mean, I, I hate the good touch with a big man thing. His dimensions make no difference at the end of the day. But his touches, just his touches, whatever size he was, his touches were great. Yeah, he had a superb tournament. I just, it was so disappointing this game in terms of. Romania did, you know, after the Colombia game, they then went and lost their next game. Then, you know, they had the great game against Argentina. And then they they just seemed like they were really flat in this game. You know, they just, they didn't turn up to it kind of thing. And Sweden, you know, they're a decent side, but they're pretty workmanlike and, you know, they shouldn't have beaten them. Because what this did really is it, it made that semi-final particular just seem like a formality for Brazil. Mm. Whereas you think, you know, yes. Romania could really have had a go at them. We did we did a while ago in the Guardian, we did a joy of six kind of great matches that didn't happen. So, and I'm pretty sure Brazil Romania semi-final was one of them for that reason. Um, yeah, such a shame. Would have been an absolute cracker. Italy played against Spain, which you've already uh, mentioned in passing. 
Uh, Italy win again. Mm. Baggio, 88th minute, scores. Well, two Baggio scored in this game. Just to hammer, hammer the point home. This Italian t- team probably worth going through, actually, isn't it? Uh, you got Pagliuca in goal, who didn't have a great tournament, did he? Not really, no. He had that thing in the final where he threw one over his shoulder onto the post. Obviously, oh, God, he was sent off yes. against Norway. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like Pagliuca... Pagliuca's obviously an excellent keeper, but mm. I feel like he peaked the year Sampdoria won the league in 91. He was never quite good after that although it was weird with Italy because they were slightly weak in some areas but in two areas goalkeeper and number 10 it felt like they just had millions of players to choose from in both at the time yeah. I think with Spain as, uh, Spain I think in the same way with Nigeria I didn't when the, I mean it was a really good game but I never felt like Spain had quite had the belief to beat them they got them back mm. to one or Salinas yeah he missed a one on one which you know Paliuki did well to save and then Italy catch them on the break, really. And it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant finish I by do, Baggio. But. I do think that counts as something, history and expectation. And it also shows the extent of the achievement of what Spain did in the 2000s because we've seen with the English football team and we're currently seeing with the fucking cricket team how hard <laughs> it is to get rid of all that psychological rubble. Um, and I think you're right. I think it probably did play a fact because Spain were a, probably the better side in that game. Obviously, they also had the hard luck story because Tassotti smashed Enrique's face up and had that been given penalty red card go to extra time against 10 men and so on um, but I think you're right I don't think they maybe truly believed they belonged in a semi-final and a final yeah I mean that Tassotti elbow not being everything was just ridiculous absolutely funny ridiculous. thing is poor Enrique just running around like pointing to anyone going look look at my face <laughs> yeah. yeah and rest, so, yeah but, like, How's he supposed to fake that, you know? I know the ref can't say just to go blood streaming from him, but yeah. yeah. Sotti got a long ban, didn't he? He got an eight-game ban, which like, seems yeah. incredibly draconian yeah. for that, for that you know, era. But, uh, yeah. Uh, the Netherlands played Brazil, lost 3-2. This yeah, is a great game. Fantastic game, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, uh, Bergkamp scores a really nice goal on this. So on the quiet, a bit under the radar, he had a really good tournament, Bergkamp. I Better, think. funnily enough, than in 98, which he's remembered for yeah. because of the Argentina goal. He's actually quite shite for a lot of 98. We're missing in the semi-final. Um, but you're right. And maybe it was just relief playing in a kind of the system he was used to because he was in the middle of his inter nightmare, wasn't he? Um, yeah. So maybe it was actually just enjoyment of playing around people who actually passed him the ball and, you know, tried to attack. It's a, it's a real weird mix, that game of, you know, going into it, I don't think Holland quite had the belief that they could beat Brazil. And, you know, they went they went two goals down, one of which was that bloody really annoying rock <laughs> yeah. um, celebration. But then they they play, that kind of let them play with a bit of a freedom then. So they were able to get it back to, you know, to each. And you just think, well, this is the point you go from. And then, yeah, that Branco free kick, which swerves around Romario's arse and into the into it the remind, It reminded me a bit of the 1979 FA Cup final in that it goes from 2-0 to 2-2. You don't quite think only one team are going to win this. But before Holland or in the case of the Cup final, Man United had a chance to kind of exert their superiority. They were hit with an immediate counter goal, and then it just kind of flattened them. It was a brilliant goal from Branco, though. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen anyone, and I'd include Roberto Carlos, who's hit as many brilliant free kicks from the outside of his left foot. Just this vicious swerve he would get. And he could do a variety as well. I mean, this one was kind of low and arrowed into the far corner. I remember one against Liverpool for Jenner, which he absolutely spanked into the top corner on the near side. 
Uh, I'm not sure he was actually a particularly great player, but his free kicks were just awesome. Yeah. It was actually, I think it was a really nice moment for Branco as well, because like, Leonardo had been a bit of a darling of the tournament. So once he yeah. you know, was suspended for the rest of it, oh, you know, they're going to have to play Branco now, and he's, you know, he's over the hill and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was a really nice moment for him, I think, to get, to get that goal and put him in the semis. 18 months later, he joined Middlesbrough. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he just? 18 he months really and 18 pounds later, yeah, he joins Middlesbrough. <laughs> yeah. um, Bulgaria, Germany, which is the game that everybody remembers. Your point was, you know, what did Bulgaria do apart from beating Germany? You know, does it matter, I suppose, in the, in the, in the, in the presence of most people? Two great goals as well from Bulgaria. Yeah. Well, yeah. This, uh, this, this goes against, you know, the argument we've been making, really, about, you know, not having the belief to beat the, the big team. Mm. And, um, yeah, Germany went 1-0 up with a bit of a soft penalty. Voller had a goal disallowed. And then um, they got a free kick, Bulgaria, which is probably the free kick of the tournament, I think, Stoichkov. He just he leaves Ilgner absolutely rooted, drops it over the wall about a foot over the Brankos. line. That's interesting. I, I, mean, I, I, think, I, I think it's just, I'd always take an outside. Is, is it an apples with apples thing? But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it was a great free kick. That's the thing with Stoichkov. He could hit those kind of one. He had that kind of craft, didn't he, with the dead ball? And yet, obviously, he had craft in the loose. But he was he was more bruising than that craft would. You know, yeah. you wouldn't expect loose, him to have that level of craft. In the loose. In the oh, loose oh sorry. I, I host a rugby podcast as well. <laughs> I'm very, very sorry for crossing in the loose. <laughs> in the loose. Ridiculous. No, in yeah, open yeah, play. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've never uh, hated myself more if that makes you feel any better was, uh, there wasn't much time between the two goals was there was it like the classic comedy one two it was 75th and 78th minute yeah so Stoichkov yeah, puts it yeah. and they were one nil down at this point as well of course yeah. so so everyone knew everyone thought I think again people had them even though Germany I mean Klinsman had been very good hadn't he he'd, he'd, yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd spanked a fair few goals in but nobody ever expects Bulgaria to come from behind against nobody expects anybody really to come from behind against Germany but Bulgaria in particular, for all the fun that it was. No, agreed. Yeah, it was like, and it was, everyone absolutely loved it, didn't they? I'm not sure, it's hard to, I wonder if it's kind of false memory syndrome, but I think I hated Germany quite as much as everyone else. Um, I was still quite vaguely amused, but I didn't find it like utterly hilarious. I found it absolutely more, hilarious. I was, more, I was a full 18-year-old tosspot on this kind I of thing. I probably was, I'm probably just, I'm probably just rewriting history. But I think I genuinely enjoyed Bulgaria more Bulgaria's triumph more than Germany making fools themselves. I still, I, I, I nearly had an aneurysm when Alan Shearer scored against Germany in Euro 2000. That's, I was still on that train then <laughs> in the pub. <laughs> yeah, I think with, with Germany as well, I mean, and as West Germany before them, in all the tournaments I'd seen in my life, they'd always got to at least the semi final. So to see them go out in the quarters was just, yeah, that's what? a good point. It's just like such a kind of, you know, a surprise. You That's just a think, really good point, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it would become not norm, reasonably normal for a while when they went really crap. But you're right, at that stage, Euro 84 was before, your, before our time. Um, and certainly at World Cups, they'd always, hadn't they, apart from yeah. 78, maybe? They'd always got to the last four at least for as long as anyone can remember, yeah. I blame yeah, the kit. So it, it, yeah. Even I when the kit stops. in its entirety with that stupid chest plate. But he checkerboard flag. I hate, I hated the kids using it. I, I'd argue pound for pound might be the worst World Cup for kids. Um, but anyway, that's another, that's of another course, pod. Of course, Romania, Romania playing Sweden, which we've already talked about. This is a classic example of them both wearing the same kit. 
it was the same Adidas template kit, just in different colours. I'll stop mm. banging on about that now. We move on to the semis. Bulgaria versus Italy. Yeah. I just, I think one of the big downsides of this tournament is that it felt like the semis were a formality. And I know both were only one by one goal, um, but it just, I don't know, I always... Korea, like Japan, get... Korea, Japan ended up like that. It was great fun until it exactly. wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like the semi-finals is where the little teams, where it all like Mike's starts to get a bit too real and they start to think fucking hell. Now, occasionally there are exceptions, of course, like Denmark and Greece and so on. But I think as a rule, I, I think that's when it starts to get a bit too much. And it just felt that way, really. I just felt like Italy and Brazil would win. And they were also, they were also quite dull games as well. I mean, Brazil in particular, Sweden pretty much, from memory, were playing for penalties from the start. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, not not great semi-finals. I think that's a big kind of if you're doing the whole ranking and rating World Cup bollocks. I think the semi-finals <laughs> are a big black mark against against this tournament. Well, Italy won theirs in about 20 minutes, effectively, didn't they? Yeah, and then bad year just, again. Yeah, there was a real just inevitability about Brazil beating Sweden. I mean, it was just late in the second half they scored the goal, I think. But there's, I mean, there's, there's a beautiful bit of play early on where Romario slithers between about three defenders. Oh, yeah. Goes around the keeper and has it kicked off the line. And it reminds me of a great, like, Rob Hughes of the Times wrote about him, where he's something like he was, he went through defenders like a, a lizard between rocks, which I thought was just a brilliant description. Yeah, and he does slithers through this non-existent space. Um, one, just one footnote on Baggio is that I love the precision of his goals. I think four of the five hit the side netting and the fifth only just missed it. It kind of gets spayed. It kind of goes in almost at the angle, which just showed that kind of uncanny precision he often had in his finishing. The thing um, about that, um, that Romario run actually, so it's almost too easy for him the way he beats the two guys and goes around Ravelli. So when he comes to the finish, he just kind of almost looks away and just tries to yeah, shoot yeah. over the line. And he gets cleared and it falls to Mazzino. He's basically got oh, a goal. Oh, that's right. And he, yeah. and he smashes it into the side netting. And Romario's got the temerity to stare at him like, how on earth did you miss that? <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, Mazzino would be perfect within his rights to say, well, uh, <laughs> likewise, basically. <laughs> but even with that, you know, that's a quite astonishing miss. But, I mean, you never thought, oh, that's going to cost them. Like, they, were all, they were always going to win. Okay? Yeah, agreed. Um I th- and uh, Jonas Turn was sent off in that game, wasn't he? Yes, which just kind of compound, exacerbated the sense that it was a matter of when. Um, Sweet, I, I don't know whether Sweden were just knackered by then. Um, maybe the heat was a factor, but, because they'd actually played really well against Brazil in the group stage. I know it was a sort of dead game, but it was still, Brazil still had a strong team out, and they had to come from behind to draw with a, another really good Romario goal. So maybe it was a combination of tiredness, heat, occasion so on yeah well i think sweden they they won the third and fourth place game 4-0 i mean i know that's a bit of a dead rubber well, was it 4-0 at half time or something ludicrous 4-0 at half time yeah they're actually the top scorers in the tournament sweden they scored more goals than any that's side, interesting so. yeah Sheffield didn't try and score one in the semis <laughs> henrik larsen played a bit didn't he he played in that third place long game. he scored didn't he yeah he scored in that shoot yeah, down as well yeah yeah but if you look at the, the, the point about brazil we mentioned Jorginho. I've mentioned Marcio Santos, but that's a centre defensive pairing of Aldair and Marcio Santos. Why didn't that get about 120 caps between them? I can't I remember what happened to Mar- Marcio Santos. They was Ajax, Russia, wasn't it? who was good. 
Yeah, they had Ricardo Rocha. Was good. The, the problem with Brazil, they just have so many players to choose from that players just seem to come and go. Do you remember um, La Tournoire? They had Celio Silva, centre-half, who was brilliant. Mark Shearer out of the game. United tried to buy him, couldn't get a work permit, bought Henningberg instead. And then a year, Celio Silva just disappeared off the face of the earth, wasn't in the World Cup squad. But he looked fantastic. I don't know what it is about how the, the players just come and go like that. Um, and the same with even people, even like um, people like Viola, who came in that final was hardly ever seen again. Um, it just seemed to happen a lot in those days. They had so much. Yeah, I don't think any country's got as many one World Cup wonders as those Brazil. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm. It's amazing how they turn over that many players. And yet they are wonders, aren't they? There's another game. There's a game on um, on the old Boys from Brazil DVD that everyone grew up with or VHS. <laughs> and there's a guy called I think it's Reinaldo who scores two proper screamers when they beat England five one in the sixties. Two oh, yeah. magnificent goals. Nothing. Never heard back. I, I, for a while, I wanted to do something on him and tried to look him up. And I just gave up because it's just fuck all on the internet. I couldn't find anything. And you think, yeah. how can you be that good to score two goals of that quality against the world champions at the time, I think, or maybe it was before that. But anyway, it's not the point. And then just disappeared. It just happened all the time. He was uh, no Cleberson, though, was he? <laughs> exactly. That's another one. <laughs> yeah, but Cleberson actually looked really good. He did. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I think yeah, with yeah. Rocket, yeah, it's just I don't know. Must be I don't, know, I don't know. I can't explain it. In in um in winning this tournament though, I think Brazil was it five clean sheets in seven games. I mean, there was yeah, just they were good. so they were solid good. at the back. Who was the other? Was it Mara Silva alongside Dunga in yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. just yeah. like yeah. just this horrible block. I mean, the funny thing is that people obviously associate Brazil with fancy footballers, but you could argue in the last twenty five years the position most associated is defensive midfield because they just produce hundreds of them. You look at every big club in the world has had one pretty much at some stage. And they had to, Mario Silva was really good. Like a real bit of Dunga was just a, a nasty piece of work in, in a, in a nice way. So when we go to the final, we're not going to cover the third place playoff. Sweden battered Bulgaria. were quite clearly absolutely knackered or hung over by this point. Cause surely they must've started drinking. Um, we get to the final, which is, and I think, again, this is what, what makes people think it was a bad tournament because it is unquestionably an absolute and total stinker, this final, isn't it? Uh, I think, well, Brazil, Brazil, Italy is a World Cup fixture. I mean, it's got a very high bar, you know, in terms of what <laughs> yes, it, it does. Produce. Yes, that's true, yeah. Um, so I think that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, we've discussed the teams already. And, I mean, the one thing that saved it for me was uh, Barry Davis, who did the BBC <laughs> commentary. I just thought it was fantastic. He's been so unlucky, Barry Davis. On the rare occasions, you know, they gave him a big final. I remember he got the 1995 FA Cup final <laughs> between Everton and United. And it was an absolutely awful game. And 96. And 96, worse. yeah. But the whole, the two hours of that final, I mean, it was a pig of a game. But his kind of heightening of the whole dramatic tension of it. There's a great line when Pauluka spills that one onto the post. I think he says, oh, his career must have flashed his, before his eyes then. And uh, he just dots it with all these kind of, you know, little uh, tension uppers kind of thing. And uh, it's pure class. And the fact yeah, that Paliuka crossing himself after catching that ball is is a piece of absolutely pure theatre, though, isn't it, as well? That's the other thing. I mean, in the middle of that biggest game of his life, just nearly fucked everything up and then still manages yeah. to just, like, I don't know, make a bit of a joke about it. Kind of respect him for that, really. Yeah, and I think they... Uh, well, well, two of the things that massively affected this final. I mean, yes, kind of Brazil were more work, workmanlike than they've been before, but Italy basically hobbled into the final. You know, yeah, they, they put Berezi yeah. back in the team who'd had um, mid-tournament surgery. 
Um, and knee he, operation, was that? Yeah. Yeah, cartilage operation. How the fuck did you come back? Yeah. yeah. And he was 62. Yeah. <laughs> and kept quiet, you know, Bebeto and Romario. And, you know, the big thing is about Roberto Baggio, who I think had done as much to get any team to a final in the knockout stages as anyone since Maradona, basically. I mean, I've not seen anything... Well, they'd have talked about him in the same breath, hadn't they, if this, if this final had gone a bit better? Yeah, well, I've forgotten... Probably... You forgot yeah, Messi in 2014, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Player of the tournament. Greatest of all time. But, um, See the way it's free kicks. Yeah, so, so that was kind of, you know, overhanging what Italy did. And the, the tragedy of it is that, um, you know, it's, it's Baggio and Baresi that, you know, missed the two penalties. Uh, who else After, misses one? Uh, oh, and uh, Massaro. He, yeah. He, yeah, who is also the only non-Baggio to score for Italy at the tournament. He's like the forgotten wow. man of the... <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's an excellent, excellent status, Rob, yeah. Baggio just wasn't fit, was he, basically? He was on his last legs when the game started, never mind after 120 minutes. He gets a chance towards the end when he plays a 1-2, doesn't he? And he's just got nothing in his legs, yeah. basically. And just plays a back pass to Tafarel. Um, I think the other the other point to make is in those days, a crap World Cup final was very rare. This was the second one in two tournaments, but it was also only the second one ever. Now, generally, with the odd exception, you get a crap final every four years. So I think it it had a worse reputation because of that. I think if we saw a final like that now, I don't think it would feel quite as bad. For example, I think that final was no worse than um, Spain-Holland in 2010. Mm. Um but it just felt worse because the World Cup final last stage was generally we everyone thought and hoped that Germany Argentina West Germany Argentina was a, a one off and all that had been eradicated by the backpass law and so on. I thought um, I thought Italy France was a worse final actually. I mean at least in '94 you had the chances you know. Yeah. Well, if you Romario missed an open goal as well, a proper open goal from about three yards. Yeah, yeah. There was a crushing um, inevitability about Italy France, wasn't there? Yeah, mm. I mean, once it went back to one all, I mean that was that was just a diabolically bad final. I thought. <laughs> it was never going to not end in penalties. That. Yeah. Uh, just that's just it's probably worthwhile very quickly just going to the teams this World Cup because it is the World Cup final. Brazil, you had Tafarel, Jorginho who got injured after 21 minutes, replaced by Caffey. We've already mentioned Aldair, Marcio Santos, Branco, Maro Silva, Dunga sat there in front being a shit house. Um, Zinho, Zinho, slightly confusing. Romario and, oh, Be- yes. and Bebeto. Uh, Viola came on as we've already mentioned for his mad fourteen minutes. Mm. Um, the Italy team was Paliuca, Roberto Musi, who I have very, very little memory of. I, I, it has to be. Did you play for Torino? Did you play for Torino? I think. I mean, when you say you think, that usually means you know. But yeah, yeah, no. he, he, he played. He left Torino in '94 and went to uh-huh. Parma. Palmer, of course he did. Kenneth Anderson yeah, after this after back. this great World Cup, Kenneth Anderson went to 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 uh, Kine in uh, League One and helped them get relegated the following year in Le- in League One in not League One as we know it League One in uh, France. And of course, oh, we should have said actually just talking about the teams wasn't Costa Curta suspended for the second final in a few months, so he got I think I'm right saying so he got. A second yellow card in the European Cup semi-final, which meant he missed the four-nil win over Barcelona for Milan, and I think he got booked against Bulgaria, which meant he missed this final. Poor prick. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, did he get booked in that? So that meant maybe did Maldini, Maldini played centre half in the final, didn't he? Alongside Barresi, Costa Curta did get booked in the yeah, semi. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, did Maldini did play centre half? Yeah. So um, Benarivo was left back. Yeah. So he had yeah. Musi, 
Baresi, Maldini. I think this is when Maldini went to centre back and never left, isn't it? Oh, I don't think he awesome. went back no, to he left back. back. He went back because he got that chasing from Carol Poborski at United Six, which Mike will be able right. to tell you more about. He's certainly <laughs> left back then. Uh, Nicola, anyway. centre mid, uh, midfield, Nicola Berti on the, the right. Oh, God, I forgot he played. Yeah. Roberto Donadoni before he, this was obviously a couple of years before yeah, he went to the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. Um, Dino Baggio and Demetrio Albertini. Albertini never gets talked about much, does he? And no, yeah, he was ever present for a player, very long time, wasn't he? In, for Mil- was it Milan? He was in Milan, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, I thought he was a really good. There was no kind of one outstanding attribute, or certainly not what I saw him, but he was just. Yeah, good at every facet of the game. Good passer. Very good long-range shot. I just it was quite a. I mean, it's a good midfield, but it's there's not that much. No. Kind of there's not a huge amount of creativity. Donadoni probably the most creative. Um, Bertie was a runner, a box-to-box player, really. Um, so yeah, it's a decent enough midfield. I'm not sure what the alternative would have been really at the time because most of their creative players were certain like number ten, Zola, Mancini, Baggio, Del Piero coming through, obviously. I was on my first lads' holiday for this final, and I, I only mentioned it. I was in Crete in a bar. I only mentioned that ev- we were in a bar in Crete. Everybody wanted Brazil to win, absolutely everybody. I know that was the same everywhere, but everyone in Brazil to win. And I was sitting next to a, a gang of middle-aged Scottish fellas. And I remember at the end when Beresi was breaking his heart, crying, and and it kind of and, and it, well, this Scottish fella next to me said in a Scottish accent, "I'll try and do it." Said, "said Oh, go cry into your wallet, you bastard." <laughs> that was the sum total of, of, of Beresi's career ending in that way was the, the, the sympathy that you've got enough money not to be upset by this <laughs> which seems a little <laughs> bit unreasonable yeah. about as yeah, much empathy as there is in the world now then yes <laughs> yes <laughs> right before we finish let's talk about the team of the tournament uh, the team of the tournament was in goal was Prudom. Ah, uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Paul Prudom. Odd. Does that su- just suggest what a terrible tournament for goalkeepers it was? Possibly. I mean, I it's think he had a very good game. Yeah, he had one very good game. I can't remember who it was against now, but it's a Belgium. No. Yeah, uh, it was. It was a three-four-three. The team of the tournament, by the way, it was a uh, Jorginho, Marcio Santos, and Paolo Maldini. Can I just say it? This is really sad. But at that age. And actually, took quite recently. He's always pissed me off that these teams of the tournament were putting unrealistic formations <laughs> to put as many good attacking players as possible. Jorginho in a three-four-three. Yeah, yeah, can you imagine? But like, you always see people pick their greatest ever team, and they've got like central midfield Maradona and bloody Pele or something. They're up front: Messi, Ronaldo, Cruyff, yeah. and fucking. Well, the, yeah, this this team's got five forwards in it essentially. <laughs> yeah, it has. Yeah. 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 Come on, what's the respect for that? <laughs> so the, so, the, so the, the, the dogs of war midfield that they've selected is uh, Brolin, Balak, Krasimir Balakov, Dunga, and uh, Jogi Hadji. He was a lovely player, Balakov, actually, isn't he? Uh, right. who, the, who was the defence? Oh, sorry, you already told us. Sorry, I told yeah, you yeah. that. Ignore me. Yeah, and then so you've got Brolin, Balakov, Dunga, and Hadji. And then up front, Baggio, Romario, and Stoichkov. Not a bad front three, is it? Imagine that in these formations yeah, no, these days. No massive omissions are there. I can't. No, I mean, well, played I well, the, didn't he? Yeah. 
This is one of the reasons I think they do a squad now instead of an 11. Oh, it's do they do a squad of, now, right? Yeah, to pack yeah. more people in. I mean, Pete, so if you're, if you're doing a squad, I mean, you would have, you know, Quinsman, Dumitrescu would be in it, I think. Kenneth Ken Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, yeah Caminero, uh, even yeah, Phil Barrett, maybe. <laughs> so. Yeah, Caminero had an excellent tournament, didn't he? Yeah. Um, actually, I, I was talking Phil Bab, a weird, well, not weird, but a slight footnote. It was one of the few times I ever saw Dennis Irwin get a chasing was when they lost to Mexico. He got the proper runaround. I can't even, was it, was it possibly from Garcia Aspe. Um, he was a lovely player, was, Garcia Aspe, actually. Yeah. It was just weird because it was one of the few times Irwin hardly ever got a chasing and it really stuck in my mind. I just remember how badly Irwin was struggling in that game. Because, oh, was it, yeah. it, it was in Orlando or something, wasn't it? And it was yeah, somewhere. and it was lunchtime. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just, it is a scope of love, but it is an absolute scandal. It weren't allowed to throw water on the field. And it's a fact water that bottle. and all the, and they all came out in old man baseball caps. Yeah, before, Jack, like, uh, not just Jack Charney one day, like Steve Stones had one while the anthems were going on, like an old man baseball cap. Um, yeah. So, in summary, then Rob, reflections on the tournament now. How should the tournament be viewed now? I thought it was a pretty good tournament. I mean, I think. I think there were a lot of goals that goals things certainly before the last couple. I think it's possibly the highest scoring in modern times. Or certainly I, I forget exactly if you break it down to knockout stages, maybe. Um so yeah, I think that's maybe it was quite it kind of it served its purpose in terms of because as much as a lot of us love Italian 90 for various reasons, the drama and everything else and the stories, it was obviously a low scoring negative World Cup. Whereas this actually um, yeah, there were a hell of, I think almost twice as many goals in the knockout stages. So it serves its purpose there. Lots of little attackers. I think that's what I remember before the quartet of relatively short players Hadji, Romario, Badger, and Stoichkov. Um, and I don't know whether that kind of foretold anything. I doubt it did, but I just think it was, yeah, that, that's my probably abiding memory of it. Mike? Yeah, I think a mixed bag for me, but it's, yeah, I think the good far outweighs the, the bad with it. I mean, it certainly didn't suffer from. England not being there, I think. I mean, I think there's that the absence of that whole circus, um, you know, particularly the way, particularly the way it is in the modern day. I think just made it really fun. I think you know, and I, at the time, you know, I was a perfect kind of age for it. Really, you know, I, I could watch the whole thing. The kickoff times are perfect. You know, I just dropped something there. And it is also, um, yeah, they didn't do the cutting away at halftime to the England camp in every single you know, that's match. That's a good point. So that, yeah. that was really good. What I seem to remember, and I don't know whether it's because, again, it's the age that you remember, you get this kind of like emotional imprint, don't you? But there seemed to be, without using a wanky phrase, which it probably is one anyway, there's, there was kind of more moments of magic for, for a neutral watching in this. Possibly. It seems to have a high proportion of them anyway, compared to some of the yeah. other ones. Well, I think I, yeah, I think it had, you know, more, more of those kind of moments, more great players fronting up, and more generally memorable games than... You get in modern World Cups, I would say. Could you make the argument that it was the last World Cup when it meant more to play for your country, or not more to play, but when club international football still had primacy over club football? You could maybe argue that the Champions League obviously becomes more and more influential through through the nineties. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really good tour. Maybe it's also there was certainly an element of magic because of it was still fairly unknown. I mean, we'd all heard of Hadji, for example, mm. seen a little bit of Romario, but we hadn't actually seen much. So no. um, I feel like it was the last World Cup. But of course, at that stage in England, there were still only, what, 20, 25 foreign players, not many. Mm. Yeah. This was the last tournament that could happen because there was a big influx after the tournament. 
people like Amakachi, Klinsman, Mark Hottiger at Newcastle, who looked brilliant actually playing for Switzerland. Dimitrescu. Turned out to be a pile of shite. Yeah, exactly. Kobe Jones, as you mentioned earlier. Papescu went to Spurs, did he as well? Petrescu went Papescu went to Spurs and Petrescu yeah. went to Chef Wednesday. So it was the last World Cup, certainly in this country, where there were a lot of unknown players and also where English football was still basically revolved around British players. Um, which it's amazing how many names thing, you can see that end up it, in in the English league as well. Brian Roy came on as a substitute. Yeah, he went to Forest, went didn't, to he, Forest yeah. didn't he? Um, yeah. So yeah, there, there were quite a few knocking around. But you wonder why? Why were so few players bought by English clubs after Italian ninety? Not enough money. Because that was, I suppose. I suppose all the best ones were going to Italy, but surely there would have been bargains. Like why, for example, why? Well, yeah, I don't know. I suppose bro. I was thinking something like Brolin, emerging star, who went to Parma. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose it was more about keeping English players because British uh, Italian clubs wanted. Um, Hmm. All the English players after work. Yeah, it just seems weird that it took England so long. Obviously, there were a few players like Ideas and V and Canto and so on, but it did take a long time to catch up. Maybe it's because we're at heart a country of racist bigots. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we'll uh, bring this episode to a close. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, all of you who are listening. I'm assuming we've still got some listeners out there after this enormously long hiatus of not being around. Uh, we we may be back again. We're making no promises. Um, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Take care, Tara. <laughs>